am not playing Robinson Crusoe. Hello, this is Hassan Lopez, and I am not playing Small World. And my name is Mike Pullman, and I am not playing Gen 7. Have you even tried it, though? No, I keep threatening to, but I haven't yet. I've heard nothing that makes me want to play it, I'm afraid. Like, nothing <laughs> that makes me think I should play that instead of Dead of yeah. Winter. The only yeah. redeeming factor I have is the setting, because everything else sounds like it's bad. So it's just cyberpunk? No, it's uh, you're on a spaceship. It's kind of like a oh. future sci-fi thing. Okay, I like spaceships. You know, that might be the most exciting thing I've heard about it, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'll say I'm, I'm a little concerned with Plaid Hat uh, nowadays. Their past several releases have been you know kind of mediocre they they were they just knocked stuff out of the park when they first started as a as a company and uh, you know dead of winter is up there in one of my favorite games but the last few releases it's been kind of messy yeah. i have had sitting on top of my stack and threatening to play uh coma knots for a while uh which is them it's their little storybook format uh, and I've been on the verge, actually, of dropping into a shopping cart a game called Neon Gods, which is by oh, them. I've been tempted by that one too, Tom. Um, I mean, I've, I've heard mixed things about it, but it it could be up our alley for sure. Do you know City of Remnants? They're... No, and and I I like the idea of of taking City of Remnants. I mean, I yeah. know of it. I never played it, but I like the idea of maybe streamlining it a bit. See, that's part of my reservation is I love City of Remnants and the things – so I would be happy to try, hey, here's another game in the same vein as City of Remnants. But I'm a little concerned about some of the stuff that's been streamlined out uh, that makes me think, well, that was what made City of Remnants really good. Uh, right. So, yeah, you know, right. one of us – we'll see who blinks first, Hassan, but I predict one of us <laughs> will end up with it. Yeah. So. Uh, so as for what we are playing, um, Hassan, what are you playing these days? What's something you've played lately? Um, the gaming has been relatively light lately, and I, it's a good thing because I've been focusing my energy a bit more on design. But we did get to play a game called Ethnos recently a few times, and that's the one I wanted to chat about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say you'd be easily forgiven overlooking Ethnos because it has an incredibly forgettable name and forgettable yeah. theme and forgettable aesthetics. <laughs> and Everything about it is kind of pushing you away at, at arm's length, and yet I'm... I think it's a fun game. I think it's worth chatting about. Um, the designer of it is this guy, Paolo Mori, um, who's who's done some really good stuff. He did Libertalia and Dogs of War, Rise oh. of Augustus. So he's got some he's got some cred. And Ethnos is is it's it's a funny release by Simon because uh, I can tell you guys right off the bat there are no cool minis in this box. But uh, <laughs> so it's unexpected who's who's making it. Um, now, did now, they, go did ahead. They acquire Mike. it from someone else, or how did they? Or is it their own game? No, nah, it's their own game, as far as I know. Oh. And I don't think it's, real, you know, based on uh, another design or anything like that. Um, you know, Simon does periodically come out with smaller games that don't go through the Kickstarter process, right? And yeah. this this was one of them. Yeah, like it, uh, Railroad Inc. was theirs, and that you know doesn't need minis oh. either. Railroad Inc. was Simon. I never would have guessed that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, now, Ethnos is called Ethnos just because there are different like races or factions in it? Is that... I can only assume. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's a really clunky way to express that, but uh, and and these are just regular fantasy facts. There's like halflings and orcs and whatnot, That's right? right? That's okay. right. Yeah. This is this is yet another game where humans battle dwarves and elves and minotaurs and mer people or whatever. You know, I, I think you know, Tom. You sometimes complain about how Lovecraftian games don't actually get Lovecraft. Right. Right. Uh, I, I sometimes feel that way about fantasy games not getting Tolkien, right? Like they were just, you know, they were just like, let's take this, this mishmash of this amazing mythology that Tolkien and, and also, you know, Tolkien's drawing obviously from from older mythological traditions, but then just throwing them in this, this battle world that doesn't make any coherent sense whatsoever. By the way, uh, battle world would have been a better name than Ethnos. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so it looks like what they're trying to do is, first of all, is this a map of Crete or Cuba? <laughs> I've actually <laughs> discovered that it is a map, or uh, pretty obviously a map of Slovakia. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, that makes sense, because I'm looking at the long, elongated, yeah, like a big old fat sausage or something. Okay, sure, I'll, yeah, I'll accept yeah. that. And is that actually uh, true? Is that that's literally what it is? Uh, well, I, there's a thread on BoardGameGeek where they, they put the maps right next to each other, and it's definitely Slovakia, but nobody from Simon and the designer, I don't think, has ever chimed in about this. Right, but, so not yeah. official, but you can. they've been called out, it sounds like. Okay. <laughs> and so, and it's trying to do a lot of asymmetry with the races, if I'm not mistaken, right? That's right. So, so Ethnos does something which I really like in games, which is that it, it gives me a very streamlined, easy-to-learn rule set. Uh, something that you can you can learn and teach in 10 minutes mm -hmm. and then it immediately subverts it by saying okay you got those basic rules now in every game we're going to pick six of these 12 different fantasy tribes and each one of them is going to break a rule that i just taught you mm -hmm. and I, I really like that and so every game you play is going to be different but it's also um it's very easy to to jump into it and immediately get excited by the rule breaking that the that the different races are going to offer you. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, let me let me just give the sort of overview of how it plays because it is a pretty simple game and I think that's one of its appeals. It's so at the at the start of the game you're gonna you're gonna randomly pick these these six fantasy races what they call tribes and they're represented by these stacks of cards so you're gonna take a stack of card for each of your six chosen races and mix them shuffle them all up into a big deck mm -hmm. on your turn you're gonna this is a this is basically I should say a hand management game that ties into area control. So on your turn you're e you're going to be doing one very simple thing. You're either going to be picking one card into your hand or you're going to be playing a set of cards from your hand in front of you that represents a, a band of allies that are on your side in this war, this abstract war, right? Mm -hmm. Um and that 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 simplicity of decision making is is really appealing that's i think one of the reasons why this is very much a gateway game i think this is something you could throw at somebody who's never played a substantial game before and they could easily grab hold of it i mean some people refer to this as a as a ticket to ride meets area control type game and i can see why because just like in ticket to ride where you're really just drawing a card or playing sets of cards to put trains down that's what you're doing here right um the the interesting decision making comes in what sets are you collecting and how are you going to use them strategically? Mm -hmm. So a, a set has to either be um, 
allies that's the the names of these these races yeah they, they have to be allies from the same tribe so for example four minotaur cards or allies that all have a matching color which which is which is linked to a particular region on the map so all allies that are that come from some place in the map right now when you when you play that band of allies in front of you um, you you're typically going to also be able to place a control marker on the map and this is where the area control element comes in you you have to choose a leader for your band one of the cards in that band is going to be your leader and the the color of the leader uh, will determine where you can put your control marker so that's part of your decision making as if you're fighting for control of a particular territory on the map that's linked to a lot of points mm -hmm. um, first of all that's painting a target on that territory so there might be a lot of players looking at that that certain region but you're going to want to try to develop a band and pick a leader that allows you to place in that territory uh, you might not always be able to do that there is a certain amount of randomness in this game choosing your cards getting the cards that you want but you can wait you can wait it out and you can push your luck until you get that that correct card or you might be looking at another territory that's fewer overall points but you're predicting that people aren't going to fight over it as much so maybe people will just say yeah you can have that two-point territory but that's great because maybe you don't want to be involved in some of the bigger wars on the map. Right? Is it a game that runs out with a clock, or is it a game that runs out after someone gets a certain number of uh, victory points, or is there a certain territory you're fighting over? Uh, there are, Yeah, there are three ages in the game, and an age is, is time nicely. It's basically once you've gotten through the deck. Now, there's a, a clever element to that, which is in the bottom half of this big fat deck, you see three dragon cards right mm. I, don't, I don't know whether it represents thematically except that a badass dragon maybe comes out and, and screws everybody over whatever but this once you draw that third dragon card it immediately ends the age and there is actually a fair bit of tension there because you're you're often trying to set you know set things up just right you maybe are building to one final really cool band that you want to play and get one more control token out and so you push your luck and you say okay, i'm going to let it go around the table again i'm going to draw one right. more card into my hand and then boom somebody draws two dragon cards in a row and ends ends the age um, that can be really exciting and thrilling and, and frustrating and they're scoring after each age i presume that's right. So then you go through each of the territories and you score them. And the scoring opens up with each age, as you might guess. So in the first age, it's really only the player who has the most control tokens in that region scores points. In the second age, there's a first and a second place. And then in the third age, there's a first, second, and third. So there is going to be the most points kicking in in that final age. Um, there's a really nice pace element to the game, too, in that each age does tend to play faster. So there's this building momentum. Oh. Um, and excitement as the game goes on and yet it also means that in the last age there's the most points available to you so Wait, each age plays faster i think so yeah i, I mean that's I, that's the that's the polar opposite of how most games work it seems right, right. yeah i love yeah, it i love that yeah, yeah what we discovered is that um i mean it comes into one of the core mechanics of the game which i think is 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 perhaps its most clever piece which is Let's say I'm building in a particular territory. I put a control marker there. And let's say Mike's messing with me. He also puts a control marker in that same territory, right? So now we're, we're, we're battling over control. Um, if I want to place another marker in that territory, I'm now going to have to play a band size, a set of cards that's at least 
equal to or greater than the number of control tokens I have there already. So mm -hmm. if I want to place a second control token there, I have to play a band size of at least, you know, two or bigger. And, and run just, through your cards more quickly. That's right. And that's just going to get bigger and bigger. Right. So by the time we get to the third age, you know, if Mike and I are in an arms race, he's got four tokens there. I've got three. Okay, now I want to stay in competition with him. Well, now I have to play a band size of at least four to place a token there, right? right. right. And you might be, Tom, just just laughing to yourself, you know, working on some other territories and letting us fight each other. And you have to be careful about that for sure. It sounds I mean, like, yeah, the, the three-player structure is two people fight each other and the guy who didn't fight wins. Yeah, and it's 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 alleviated in this game because it is it is very easy to widely distribute your control tokens, right? Like getting your first control token in a territory is as simple as playing a band size of one, right? Because right. that first token is so easy. Um, and you can do that everywhere in the map super easily. And in fact, I think it's kind of a cool strategy to just be like, I'm going to get my tokens in everywhere, right? So I might not come in first place anywhere, but hey, maybe I can get second or third place in multiple regions. And that's right. a totally viable strategy. Um, you can also try to pick your battles and really focus heavily on one or two territories that are maybe juicy in terms of their points. But that is dangerous, right? Especially if you get into an arms race with somebody. Oh. And I'm, I'm guessing that w what makes this more than like a – because so far it sounds very ticket to righty in terms of, oh, I just need to get the right colors of cards. Uh, each race has an asymmetrical power that messes the, with the broken rules, right? So is it like the leader of your pack gives you a special rule, or does each of the members of the pack apply a rule? Right. Uh, no. Yeah, you got it. It's it's the leader that gives you the rule. Okay. So um, just as an example, so one of the cooler – you know, tribes in the game are the centaurs. So if, if the leader of my tribe, uh, of my band is a centaur, they break the rule that I can only play one band at a time. In other words, I could play a band of centaurs and then immediately play another set from my hand. So I could have been trying to build two sets in my hand simultaneously. So I play a band, let's say, of three centaurs, and then I immediately play another band of, let's say, three minotaurs. So I can put two control tokens out at once on my turn. And that's kind of powerful. Uh, you can even chain that together. You can do centaur, centaur, minotaur, something like that. So the centaurs are really... Um, they, they totally alter how you approach the game. Rather than trying to build a single band of power in your hand, you can actually start trying to build multiple bands at the same time. And what um, does this express about centaurs? Because <laughs> <laughs> um, they, are, they, are they in flocks? Or what? <laughs> Wait, I don't understand. Why do sure. centaurs get to do that? Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, maybe the minotaurs are riding the centaurs? I don't know, right? But um, some of them are more I like that. I'll, yeah, yes. I'll buy that. Some of them are pretty cool thematically. Like, for example, the skeletons can't actually ever serve as leaders. Their ability is that they act as wild cards. So you can put a skeleton in into any band you want. Uh, and so they, they really help you get those big band sizes you need. Like, for example, when you're working on that fifth control token in a territory, right? The problem is that at the end of each era, you get to score all of your bands. That's a separate form of scoring. So if you have a band size of five, that actually scores you a decent number of points. I think it's something like 10 points, mm -hmm. whereas a band size of one scores you zero points. So it's this almost exponential scoring thing with, with, the, with regards to the size of each of your bands. Skeletons disintegrate before you can score your band. So if ah, I built, okay. Yeah, so if I built a band of five, but it had three skeletons in there, they they all disintegrate before I can score that band. So it's actually they're, they're only brittle. 
Yeah, that's they... right. That's okay. right. So they're, they're, when skeletons are in your game, it does lead you more towards the area control element because that gets easier. But scoring your bands, which is an entirely separate strategic uh, thing you can be pursuing, is, is less lucrative. Right. right? We, we discovered, we think that skeletons are a sucker's game because when every time we took them, it, they're so tempting because they fit into your, your bands, whatever you're building. But um, scoring big bands is really, really uh, beneficial in this game. So we, we ended up real, sort of shying away from them at the end after thinking at first that they were really good for us. Okay, I want I want to see I want you to test me and Mike. I want you to because this is going to this this has to this is going to tie into what I want to talk about with my game in a minute. But I want you to tell me one of the powers in the game and then tell me three races in the game and see if Mike <laughs> and I can figure out which race does that power. All right, do you want an easy one or a hard one? Nope, they, get, some of these would be easy. So. Uh, yeah, no, get crazy with this. Give us one of the more obscure ones because I don't think there should ever be uh, – I, I think it, it, any game needs to express this sort of thing well. Like if it's going to use a theme, it really needs to take advantage of that and no just whiffing and randomly throwing a power to a different race. So give us a hard <laughs> one. Okay, I'm going to pick a hard one here. Okay. All right. So let's see. Um, Okay, so one of the races in the game, mm -hmm. um, if you build a band and the leader of that band is this race, then it's going to, the, the band skies is going to actually be plus one during scoring. Okay. Right? So, so if I had a band of three, but the leader was of this race, it actually would count as four. Sure, right? this is a great power. Okay, go ahead. Now give me three races that are in the game. All right, this is going to be a tough one. Wizards? Trolls or dwarves? I'm going trolls. I was going to say, I was thinking that as well. It's definitely not dwarves because dwarves are little and they're squat packages of right. like, powerful muscle. Trolls would, I would, if I was doing trolls, it would be some kind of regenerative power. I'm going to go wizards because they add like a magic added plus spell or something. Uh, so mm. I'm guessing wizards. Mike's guessing trolls. Which mm. one is it and why? Okay, the loser in this situation is Ethnos because <laughs> it, it was actually dwarves. Wait, why would dwarves give you? <laughs> <sighs> That's counterintuitive from what I know of fantasy. No, no, it's like <laughs> just think of a band of dwarves. They're hardy, they're tough. You know, like three dwarves, you look at them and you underestimate them. So they're Hassan... actually much tougher than that. Right? No, wizards do, but, but wizards have magical spells and trolls are big and they carry clubs. No, I do not accept this rationale. The wizards <laughs> let you replenish your hand, which makes a lot of sense. Okay. Trolls, you're, you're right. No, huh? trolls should make you replenish your hand. Regeneration. <laughs> oh my god, I hate this game. All right, what do what, what, what do trolls do? I don't even remember what trolls do. Trolls are the biggest <laughs> one. They're, it's like you're you're fighting over these abstract tokens that give you points. No, they're they're, they're don't play with trolls. They're stupid. Okay. Um, the, <laughs> that actually the, is thematic. Trolls being stupid. So okay. Yeah. The the one that would have been easy for you guys is is the wing folk because they if if they're your leader you get to put your token anywhere in the board no oh. matter no matter what. So yeah. you, you you can sort of ignore the color of the leader and you just get to put your token where you want. Right. Yeah. Now, okay. now, when you were saying at the outset that uh, this reminds you of when I complain about Lovecraft games not getting Lovecraft, and you felt this, this way about this game with fantasy, uh, what, what, explain what you meant there. <laughs> well, only insofar as I think 
if if we think that a lot of modern fan I mean this game in a sense almost alludes to Lord of the Rings in part I think because the the artist of the of the game is this guy John Howe who's kind of famous for a lot of his Lord of the Rings artwork so when you're playing it you kind of want to feel like you're in the world of Lord of the Rings but that's a it's a very subtle world um it's a subtle mythology a lot of complex stuff going on there and yet what we typically get in terms of generic fantasy output is just dwarves versus elves right, right, or, right. or humans versus trolls or minotaurs versus this and i mean ethnos isn't trying too hard right it's right. it's it's fundamentally an abstract game one of one of the guys in our group his one of his complaints which i understood is that you know we're war gamers um, we're area control freaks we love that kind of game and in, in my group and the map in this is thoroughly abstract in the sense right. that adja- adjacencies don't matter at all like the you wouldn't you don't even need a map it could just be you know seven different circles right that you put stuff on right the the location of things it makes no difference whatsoever the only thing that matters is how you seed them with victory points which does vary you know game to game so you know the regions are always going to be worth a different number of points every time you play so there's no th- there's no power that references adjacency that's correct that's weird and, to me and, and and that's something that could have maybe happened in an expansion i mean right. this is a game that i like well enough that you know i'd, I'd hope for expansion content but it came out in 2017 uh they did release one promo race, the the fairy race, which I haven't picked up, um, and I don't know. I would I would love to see more races for it for sure. Right. I, and and I do think that there's room within the mechanics of the game to allow for that. Right. Uh, I'll, I'll mention one negative just because I, I want to give at least some kind of balanced mm-hmm. thing here because there there is one major negative to this game that I know would frustrate people. We we liked the game, we enjoyed it, and I love how snappy it is i think it's its best feature but there's really a substantial amount of top decking in this game uh, where you're you're really just grabbing the top card of the deck randomly and just throwing it into your hand and a lot of your turns in this game will just be that like it'll go mike what are you doing i'm grabbing a card hassan what are you doing i'm grabbing a card tom what are you doing mm-hmm. i'm grabbing a card and it just goes around and around until someone is like has has a band that they're willing to play right and and when you play a band uh, you know a clever feature is that you play that band in front of you which is great but then all those other cards in your hand which you've been collecting now go face up into a market so that they're now available to the other players so now you guys don't have to top deck you can oh you can, right right you can choose something with some more knowledge right um, but that that randomness of just kind of hoping to get the right cards for your sets is gonna is gonna annoy some people for right. sure. Right. That sounds right. a lot like Tickets to Ride. You know, same thing where everyone's just going around collecting their colored cards. And... Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. what I was thinking too. Is okay, we're gonna spend ten minutes everybody drawing cards and who's gonna break first? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Have, I mean, do you guys play like that high level Ticket to Ride where you just build a giant? deck of it, you know, hand of cards and then wait, 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 wait. It's that's I, such. I, when I used to play with my family, my mom would do that, and she'd have this like hand of cards with like thirty cards in it, and then just route, 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 and done. It's it's so interesting to play that way. I mean, I understand why people do it that way. I've never actually played it that way, um, but uh, in Ethnos, you can't do that. There's a hand limit of ten, so oh good, so, okay. So your yeah. your mom can't cheat at Ethnos. <laughs> <laughs> Take it to right. That's dirty pool bringing Mike's mom into this. Oh. <laughs> 
All right, so Mike, what are you playing? Actually, what are you you not quite playing, but I'm super curious to hear about. Yeah, so I grabbed uh, Heroes of Land, Air, and Sea, uh, which is a new game from Gamelin. Uh, they came out with the main game and one expansion that adds some more races. And uh, let's For some out. reason, I thought they had way more than one expansion. Are there a bunch more announced? There's, or? there's a bunch of mini expansions. There's two okay. big expansions. Uh, the other one's coming out this week, so it's all within this two-week period. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a... Uh, imagine if you took a fantasy uh, 4X computer game and tried to turn it into a board game. Mm-hmm. They are. Uh, they actually. The goals of the game are the ter- traditional four X's from uh, PC games. Uh, that being expand, exploit, um, exterminate, and explore. Uh, so there. It is. Um, you can play it solo, which I haven't tried yet. So what I did is I set up a, a two-player game just to kind of see how the pieces work and interact and stuff. Um, but it's kind of a, a resource allocation game. You're collecting uh, three different kinds of resources. Uh, there's food, mana, and ore. And it's kind of like Catan, depending on like which territory you control is what it generates. Uh, so if you control a forest, you get uh, uh, mana pieces and so on. <clears throat> and then um, there's a bunch of different units you can build. Uh, the main two units are warriors and serfs. Uh, then there are three different heroes you can build. You can build one of each. And then there is a boat you can build and an airship. Um, one thing I wanted to oh, hold on one second. Uh, one thing I wanted to note is that uh, uh, right out of the gate when I opened the box, um, some of my pieces were broken. So they have a uh, these little plastic stands to hold up the airships, and all four of mine were just shattered. And is this be- is this like something because they're they're poorly like they're made where that's going to happen to a lot of people, or is it some weird I, shipping I, anomaly? I've seen it. Uh, some complaints from the Kickstarter, the same issue. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you think back to, like, Games Workshop pieces and so on, you normally would get these plastic uh, clear bases for flying units, and you'd assemble them, right? There'd be, like, a base and, like, a, like a peg that went in it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then this, for some reason, they decided to, to ship them pre-assembled. So there's a base, a real thin plastic leg, and then a part that goes underneath the actual cardboard ship you build. So it's just kind of asking for trouble for them to break along that real thin... Uh, Right. Uh, support, support part, so not surprised. Uh, they're sending me new ones. Should be here in a couple of days, so it was pretty quick to get uh, replacements. Uh, and if you didn't have them, your Zeppelins would be just squatting on the ground when you fly them around? Is that the... Correct. <laughs> okay, right. It does seem uh, very unsightly, though. You don't want Zeppelins <laughs> on the ground. Yeah. And some of them are... So these are uh, you know kind of cardboard uh, pieces you fold together and slide pieces together, so they look kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, without the bases, some of them don't stand up very well because they're not flat on the bottom. Um, so the four races in the game are humans, orcs, dwarves, and elves. See? Uh, see? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I do ha- over in his grave right now. <laughs> I do have uh, an expansion, which I haven't even cracked open yet, uh, which has, uh, like, Lizardmen and Undead, some lion race, and then I don't remember what the other one was. And there better be crazy asymmetrical powers for these. There are. Good. So um, you have this uh, kind of a reference sheet, which represents your capital city. Um, shows you all the different things you can build, and you know it, it will say like for recruiting a surf, it's you know two food, or for a hero they want you know for the mage they might want you know some mana and some ore or whatever. Um, and then in addition to kind of building up units, um, it's a, an action system where you get two actions per turn. Uh, so it's anything from recruiting to unit, new units, uh, building a new building in your city, um, collect or uh, uh, actually drawing more cards for uh, magic and so on. 
Uh, one cool mechanic they have is, um, depending on if you're doing a an action which is kind of like recruiting, uh, other people, like, so if I pick, this kind of reminds me of Race for the Galaxy. So if I recruit a troop, uh, then you guys out of turn can give up one of your serfs for a turn to do that same action without using one of your two main actions. Is that mainly what serfs do, is they let you do an action that someone else has declared? Uh, nope, serfs can actually fight. Not well, but they can. Okay. Um, they also, when they're on the board, collect extra resources. Mm-hmm. So if, if I control a forest, uh, I normally get one uh, mana out of it. But there'll be a little circle there for a surf to stand in. So if I have a surf in that area standing in there, it's it's producing two instead of one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, some spaces have two of those. And there's, I think two is the most I've seen. Um, and then the other thing surfs do is when you build buildings, you have to sacrifice a surf and you put them on a little spot on your card that shows that now you have this building. So it's, you know, it's consuming the surf as a resource to build, a, you know, a dock, which then would let you build a ship. So is this, is this like a tech tree or is it actually buildings that you're putting out on the board? It's just a tech tree. Okay. So um, it's all on this, uh, the capital city card. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other cool thing is the, your capital city has three different levels. You start at level one and then it's a whole bunch of resources to upgrade it to level two and three. And when you do all of your buildings then are get more powers as well as your heroes. So the buildings each have three tiers of powers on them that are cumulative, as do the heroes. And so if you upgrade your capital city to level three, everything is max power. But it's a pretty significant resource investment to get to that point. It sounds very RTS-y in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing you can build are these towers, which um, the, f- the further away you build them from your capital city is how much they cost to build. So if it's five spaces away, it's oh. five ore. Mm-hmm. And what that lets you do is essentially teleport units to that tower as a starting point. Mm-hmm. So I can actually build a tower, you know, across the, the ocean on someone's continent just as a, a staging point for my army to start attacking them. But then you're incentivized to go wipe out that tower so I can't do that anywhere. Are these maps randomized? Uh, no. So it is, it's actually a board. Um, there are four continents on the main board. The expansion I got adds two more continents to kind of add slides onto the side of the board. Uh, and then you uh, pick where your starting positions as you go. Uh, and then in between all the continents is water, uh, which you can only get across. Uh, well, you can use the boat to bring a bunch of troops, uh, but there's also these uh, lines that are kind of like ferry lines, so you can actually walk across them too, which is slower. Cool. Um, in addition to that, every single space, uh, with the exception of swamps, I think, gets exploration tokens. So as you're going on the ah, map... Ah, because I was random... about to say, how can you explore if yeah. it's a set map every time? All right, go ahead, sorry. Yep. Uh, no, I'm wrong. Uh, swamps actually get two. Deserts don't get any. Uh, but it's... And I might be wrong on that. But you, uh, as soon as you stop at a, a territory, you turn over these tokens and resolve it. And it might be anything from, um, you know, a mercenary unit is offering to work with you if you pay them, to you might find a dungeon to explore... It's just little kind of... Okay, I like this a lot. Okay, because that, that's definitely uh, like something to encourage you to get out there and, yep. and take your chances and see what's there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's going to happen anyway just as you're kind of staging units around the map. Dude, can you explore oceans? Uh, yeah. Do... yeah, all the oceans have uh, exploration tokens in them also. Uh, they might have, you know, like a sea monster. Sometimes you just find some resources. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of stuff. And then the expansions add more of these tokens, of course. And I'm totally okay thematically with there being two in a swamp and none in a desert. Yep. Yeah, that works for me. It's so. more adventure in a swamp. <laughs> right. It's more, more mystery. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, so then um, combat. Uh, so all the different units have uh, uh, two, two different values. One is how fast they move, and one is how strong they are in combat. 
and, and uh, real can, quick, you said so each yeah. side just has a generic warrior, and then their heroes are the the weird funky units. But for the most part, Actually, the warriors and uh, serfs, which are the two generic units, their right. stats are different between races. Okay. So the the generic orc warrior is more fighty than a human. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the heroes are completely different between sides. Uh, and then the airship and the vessel are they add to combat too, but mostly they're just for ferrying guys around. Now, you're going to tell us about combat. So is this die roll? Yes. Is it deterministic? So, uh, so combat, you add up all the units that are in the uh, the territory that is fighting. Uh, so you'd have, you know, I'd have two warriors, and there are maybe two each, and that's four. Uh, if I had a tower there, that adds add some more values. If you're in your capital city, it adds a whole bunch. Uh, and then, so each person has a starting number. Like, you know, I have six, and you have seven as our total. And then we each have an identical hand of cards. Um, there's seven of them. And it's your tactic that you're going to use in battle. It might be like, I'm going to do a charge. I'm going to be defensive posture. And then depending on, you know, how these cards interact between the two players is going to affect the total. Uh, you know, it might be, uh, I wipe out all of your serfs before battle starts because I charged. Mm-hmm. Uh, or it might be a retreat where I just leave the whole territory and nothing happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of this trying to guess what your opponent's going to play and what you're going to play. Uh, and then you end up comparing numbers. I'm sorry, real quick. So what determines which cards I have? We all have the same seven cards? We, have, or? we do, yep. Okay. And then okay. you just choose kind of which tactic you're going to use going into battle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, in addition, that you have magic. Uh, there's three different kinds of spells. There's ones that are kind of utility, you know, maybe it lets you recruit uh, a new unit for free or get some more resources. Uh, there's combat ones, which directly affect combat. Uh, like I saw a fireball one, which kills two serfs before the battle even starts. Uh, and then there's interrupts, which has things like counter spells and things to fight someone else's spells. Ooh, I like that. Okay, so yeah, interrupts. So, so okay, so there could be a lot of back and forth, like in a battle with the interrupts. Yeah. And so, okay, I like that. So so we start out knowing our numbers. We play some spells. We play our tactics. Then we compare, and then uh, based on how many, uh, you know, that difference is how many units you're going to lose. Uh, and let's say I've done an ex- I've done uh, you know a total of four damage to you. You have to take at least four damage, even if that only partially covers the hit points of a unit. It's just, you don't track it, it's just gone. So even if it had two and you only assigned one to it, it's still gone. Mm-hmm. But you get to determine, the defense player, the person who's losing it, determines which ones they're going to lose. Right, right. Now, uh, it seems like the asymmetry, because it, it's sort of like Hassan was explaining with Ethnos, uh, the asymmetry is what would interest me about this. Like, what makes playing the undead different from playing the elves? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's mostly in those hero units um, and what they can do. Um, the spells are shared between all of the sides, so there's no difference there. Um, so it's largely the statistics and then all the different bonuses you get uh, from your city upgrades to your buildings, which then carry forth their units. Um, and that's I've only looked at a couple of them in detail, but they're they're quite a bit different in what they do. Mm-hmm. Now, as to, if they're balanced, I don't know till I play a few games, <laughs> but I do I do appreciate the asymmetry. Uh, and then the game is end or uh, like an end condition happens when one of four things happens. Uh, the first is if you exterminate another race, which means taking out their capital city. Uh-huh. One is when all of the uh, tokens on land are explored. So once we've looked at the last one, we get one last turn. Uh, exploit was oh when someone has built all of their towers. Uh-huh. And what's the other one? Explore, expand, exploit. I always have to do this as well. It's like the seven dwarves, which is the one I always forget. Uh, Expand, explore, exploit, exterminate. Uh, That would be the capital. Yeah, I think I'm forgetting what exploit was. Expand is building all your stuff. I'd have to look. 
I don't recall. But uh, do, do you some... have a sense for how quickly there's a like a game like this could it sounds like could bog down and take a long time, or it could be engineered to be pretty snappy. Do you have a sense for which way this game might break? The turns seem to be, individually seem to be pretty short uh, because you only have two actions plus those bonus ones you get from what other players are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, what does Board Game Geek say the playtime is? It says two to three hours, which sounds about right. Oh, yeah, okay. All right. So definitely so, not like on the shorter end of the no. spectrum, though. Yeah. Nope. But that's, uh, that's, that's, that's surprisingly short to me. Like, I mean... When you when you hear 4x and it definitely sounds like they're trying to shoehorn as much of 4x as they can into this, right? Um, you 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 think, oh, okay, this is going to be at least a three-hour game. Well, so. Hassan, you're not falling for it. You know that two to three hours means three to four hours, <laughs> if, if not five. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I ask partly, Mike, because I recently played Civilization: New Dawn. Has either uh-huh. of you seen that design? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've seen I have... it, but I have not played it. I have conflicted feelings about that game. I, I do too, but I think they do a good job of making snappy and sort of uh, of adding good pacing to a 4X totally. style game. And totally. and when we played, it was like suddenly over before anyone knew it. It was our first game too. And right. a lot of times when you play a first game like that, it's like people playing chess who don't know the game well enough to, to checkmate each other. So you yeah. play a first game like that and it goes on and on until someone hits some economic end condition thing. But when we played Civilization New Dawn the first time with some other people suddenly it was over like that and we were like whoa what what, what just happened um and did i think the game is flight did somebody get flight and just smash everybody are you serious yes that's what i did that's totally yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's 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 the problem with the game I think. oh that's, wow that's... so i i for two i hit upon the thing that breaks the game my very first time sweet <laughs> <laughs> so i just looked it up uh the expand is all of your play of a player's surfs and warriors in play and exploit is all three of your towers in play okay Right, so yeah, like your your work, your military force versus your infrastructure force, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, one cool mechanic I wanted to mention is, in addition to just collecting resources from outside and what you control, there's this tax system. Uh, so one of the actions is tax, which just lets you collect a resource. And there's this little on the, right by the score counter. There's a four, a three, and a two, and you randomly select uh, the markers. So let's say the food is on four, and ore is on three, and the man is on two. Mm-hmm. And you can say, I'm going to collect food. For, with my tax. So I'd get four food just for free by spending an action. And then all those things rotate around where uh, food then becomes the two and then it shifts up. So then uh, how much you get for taxing keeps alternating because it's rotating around, which is kind of cool. Uh, there's a game called Alien Artifacts that also relies on this 4X in a, in a science fiction uh, setting. And <laughs> there's an action similar to that where you just get resources uh, called Trade. And invariably, we'll get partway into the game after I've taught someone, and someone will really need some resources, and I'll just say, well, why didn't you do the trade action? And they'll say, well, I didn't have anything to trade for. Like, like, like naming something trade where you only get something for free is counterintuitive, and... (laughs) And I just think that that's a, a language issue. So I like the idea of calling it tax. Like, I'm yeah. just taking something. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, uh, and then the other cool mechanic they have is there's three slots on your board for spells you want to scribe, uh, which means normally you get a spell card, uh, and your city level determines your hand size. So at level one, you can only have one card. Uh, at level three, I think it's up to three or four. Uh, but you can permanently save a spell for the rest of the game if you really like it. Um, so you spend an action called research, which either lets you draw new spells or keep one. And then you put it on the side of your board, and um, you don't tap it because that term is copywritten. 
Can I guess? Can I guess what you call it? Do you exhaust it? I believe you do exhaust it. Aha! Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when you do that, that you actually turn the card upside down, and then there's a turn where it's sideways and still not working, and then it's back. Oh, mm. I like that. Okay, good. All right. So you get to use it every third turn if you decide you want to keep it. I was playing a game uh, a couple weekends ago with a friend of mine who used to play a lot of Magic the Gathering. And mm-hmm. w- I forget what the game was, but you're supposed to tap the cards and turn them sideways to show that they're used. He kept doing this, and it was it was almost muscle memory on his part, but it was driving the rest of us crazy. He would tap the card by turning it 45 degrees, Ooh, just like tilting right. it. And no, you can't because that could actually accidentally be bumped that way. Uh, <laughs> and we kept like reaching over and turning them the remaining 45 degrees. <laughs> but it was driving like me when, crazy. I don't even like when people do that in Magic. Well, apparently, yeah, like that's his that's where he got it from. And he says, well, that's how we do it in magic. And I was like, no, you got to commit. Go all 90 degrees or nothing at all. None of this 45 degree nonsense. (laughs) Um, So So. one of the things that uh, two things concerned me about heroes of land, sea, air and magic. Land, Land, air and sea. Land, air and sea. Last. Okay. Two things that concern me about it. Um, I love the idea of it being playable solitaire and uh but i'm not convinced that it's anything other than a random deck makes the other side just do arbitrary stuff to kind of get in your way and there's no sense of really interacting with it or or it responding to what you're doing uh Mm -hmm. and that it would be a super poor substitute for actually playing with people which is i think a lot of the that's the case with a lot of games that claim to have solitaire play. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is, it looks like they're just building it to sell you a bunch of extra races. So is either of those concerns founded, Mike, do you feel? So I looked at the solo rules briefly. Uh, there is a random deck that determines what the AI is doing. Um, but one thing they did nice is that it prioritizes actions based on availability. So it, the card, may you may turn over and may say, I, the AI wants to build a warrior. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't have enough food, it doesn't, and then goes to a secondary. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of alleviation of the randomness because it prioritizes what its abilities are, and that's on the cards. Okay. Uh, and then you actually, the the main uh, board you use to track everything, you use a, a, the opposite side of it for solo. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually, like the spells are set in stone for solo. There's just three different spells you can use. Um, you have to upgrade your capital city a whole bunch more than just two times. So it's kind of you're kind of trying to gather resources, fight off the AI enemy as you're building up uh, towards this goal. And I'm guessing you mentioned too that part of the combat are things like counter spells and interrupts. Does all that go out the window when you're playing against their their bot or their AI? Uh, it seems to. I, okay. I only skimmed the solo rules, but I believe you still pick a tactic card and then you compare it to just a stock value on the uh, AI card. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Tom, have you played um, Tesla versus Edison ever? Um, not solo, but I did play a little bit with the a prototype of the multiplayer. What what makes you bring that up? Um, well, the expansion brought in so- solitaire play, and I really like it. And I think one of the reasons why the solo works in that game is that again, it's like a it's a deck of cards that dictates what each of the AI players does. But each deck was designed to pursue a particular strategy, so it feels very coherent and. The, the downside to that, of course, is that if you continue to play against, for example, the Ada Lovelace deck over and over and over again, you'll start to be able to almost read what she's going to do. But right. I, I kind of like that. And I, I prefer AI decks that have 
a, a specific strategy built into them versus ones where it's like you flip over a card and something happens, right? And even what Mike's describing of like, oh, well, it's going to prioritize X, Y, and Z. I'm, I'm never sure if it's going to emerge into something that resembles intelligence. Right. Um, yeah, and, I, and I won't know until I actually try solo mode once. Right, right. Uh, Gaia Project, which is a, a science fiction iteration of Terra Mystica, Gaia Project has a bot that depending because Gaia Project, like Terra Mystica, is premised very heavily on asymmetry and how the different races have some unique tweak or gameplay breaking mechanic. Uh, and when you play against the bot there, you can't just use any race because each race has a specific, I think it's just one card or one action it'll do every now and then, but the it, it very specifically tries to leverage that race's unique power as a bot. Uh, hmm. So I like that in terms of uh, not just something to play against, but in terms of kind of learning how the race works and seeing it in action. Right. Uh, so that's another one where I really uh, um, appreciated how different the bot feels than just, hey, random card flips up and it does something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, so then what about this idea that I'm just going to have to buy four more race packs for, for this game so to there's... really enjoy it? You know, each one is going to add new units and some more to the asymmetry, and just more choice. Uh, like I said, if you want to play with more four, more than four players, you have to buy the one expansion, which adds uh, an, like an add-on to the board for two more continents mm -hmm. uh, and four more races. So if you're ever going to have five or six, you're going to have uh, eight races to pick from anyway. Um, I don't know about the little mini expansions. Those aren't out yet. Well, I should say I don't have them at the store. I think they are out. Um, so I don't know. And I, I don't know if, what the value proposition on those things are, but there seems to be a fair amount of gameplay just out of the box. Okay. Good. And uh, those conditions I listed before with the four X's, those don't actually mean you win because at the end you still compare victory points based on you know what level of buildings you have and how many units you have and how many territories you control. That all adds to a total victory points. So does it, does, it, the end. does it remind you of any other games? Like if you were to say, this plays like X, is there, is there anything that comes to mind? I can't, nothing I've played board game wise okay. that really comes to mind. Um, you know, I mean, there's plenty of, as we call them, dudes on a map games. Um, but this has the whole tech tree and stuff kind of there, but not as heavy as something like Twilight Imperium. Right. Yeah, it does very much sound like a board game expression of, like, Mas Masters of Magic or something, yep. like that whole mm -hmm. fantasy thing. I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I will have a, a follow-up in two weeks after I've actually played it. <laughs> Do you think it would work for two-player? I think so. Um, in two-player, you use three of the continents, so you essentially are on ah. opposite, opposite uh, diagonals, and then you guys, as a the group, you decide which of these two continents is live and which one isn't. Right, right. Uh, then you can't even go there, so you're fighting off one intermediary continent. Oh, I yeah. like that. Okay, yeah, like here's the no man's ground that we fight over, or yeah, yeah, I like that. Yep. All right. Yep. And then, so that's either solos, uh, three continents, and two players, three continents. Okay. All right, well, here is what I bought into recently. It's another Kickstarter thing that I just at the last minute late pledged because it was sold as a, a, solid, a co op slash solitaire dark fantasy setting. Uh, and I love when games claim to be dark, even though most of the times it just means eh, the artwork is vaguely serious. Uh, <laughs> so, but this one, like, the artwork looked super serious, and it had a super serious name, 
and there was a lot of traffic, I guess, talking about it on Board Game Geek. So I just kind of skimmed the campaign and was like, yeah, I think I would want to play that, and late pledged it, and it just arrived. Uh, this is, I think, a, yeah, this is a second edition. Uh, the first edition has got to have been out for like a year or so, because um, there's already a lot of stuff about the rules and just discussions on Board Game Geek. So it's one of those games that's been established. Here's the second edition, and it's called, how's this for a dark name? Gloom of Killforth. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It has both kill and gloom in the name, so you know they're serious. Um, and the the thing that surprised me about it is it's actually kind of uh, light. Like, it's... it's uh, it, it, it's a brief like I thought it was going to be some turgid thing that's drawn out over multiple sessions and you're leveling up your dudes and I've sort of been conditioned to expect that from like these dark fantasy games like Kingdom Death Monster like it's going to be dark and you're going to have dudes and they level up and there's permadeath but it's not that at all it's one game you set it up you play your adventurer your adventurer levels up in the course of the game and you either win or lose and at the point I'm at with it I can play a game easily and you know 30, 45 minutes. Like, it's really snappy. It moves along quickly. Um, and uh, what's surprising, too, is it's just kind of set collection based on, and this is really disappointing, arbitrary keywords. Mm. So there's a boss at the end that you have to fight, and he's super powerful and you're super weak. So in order to fight him, you've got to do quests, and each level of the quest, they all have four levels levels your character up and gives you a new like special power so you can't fight the boss until you've done your quest which is just a way of saying look we're going to force you to level up so you don't just make a beeline for the boss and fight him because that would be stupid you would die so you have to finish this quest then you go fight the boss and if you fight the boss before the clock runs out you, you've won the game pretty straightforward um the clock is a deck of cards and the map is also a deck of cards. In the map, you just flip up cards. You make a grid five by five of 25 cards. And these are distributed where the card in the middle is the capital city. And then the other 24 cards are four types of terrain. There's six forests and six plains, six swamps. Guess the, th the fourth type of terrain, just to see if you guys can see where this is going. you got plains, forests, swamps. Fourth type of terrain would be? Mm. Mountains. Very good. Yep. Mike got it. Yeah, totally mountains. Yeah. Uh, so each of these each of these cards as you're playing, you know, it sort of creates a little terrain geography puzzle for you. Like, oh, if I go into the mountains, I need to get to that forest over there, but the mountains are in the way. But do I go around to the? Because each of the different types of terrain will generally give you different kinds of encounters. You go into a, 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 one of the little map spaces, and there's a deck for each terrain type, and you flip it up to see what happens. And you're more likely to get attacked in the mountains. You're more likely to meet strangers in the plains. You're more likely to find magical places in the forest. And that's kind of cool, the way it expresses this. But what's really disappointing is this quest system that you go through to level your character up and get powerful enough to beat the main boss. And each level of the quest is a card that has text that explains the quest. And they all have titles, and they're cool, provocative stuff like... Uh, take a fortress, uh, steal an artifact, escort the princess, uh, you know, slay the dragon. It's, it's stuff like that. And you think, okay, this is going to be some cool thematic thing. And then it gives you text about what to do. And then at the bottom, there are three words. Like, 
like it'll be a type of card or a type of terrain or a type of inventory item and all you have to do is collect each of those three things and then you're done with the quest and they're so completely random for instance i'm going to tell you here's the first stage of assassinating a lord and this is like you know you get a thief character yeah there's actually an assassin in here this would be a perfect quest for him right all this stuff would be thematic the first thing you have to do the first step in assassinate the lord like it explains i'm not even going to read it but this text here explains stuff about who the lord is and why you want to assassinate him to do the first stage of this to level up you need a forest card a mountain card and a card that's designated as a place <laughs> and then the, the second phase is saying it, it's like that throughout the, to finish your quest you need a place a quest and a card with the keyword pious which by the way if you're assassinating someone pious no that's not pious people don't assassinate like that's so random and arbitrary tom uh, you're supposed to be using your imagination to be filling in the blanks here this is a it sounds like a storytelling game here's what i did okay hassan i was willing to concede that so i actually started reading the text to see okay are they going to explain why someone pious is required for this and it is just the most half-assed attempt to <laughs> to like like the whole thing with forests and mountains like it it's no it if it if it can't meet my imagination halfway i'm not even going to try it's going to be a ticket to ride set collection thing i need to get this set of keywords for level one this set for level three and i've even taken to before i play i just make a list because uh, there's separate cards and you're supposed to look at each card singularly like it, it doesn't say hey don't look at the future stages of your quest but you're supposed to like focus on one stage at a time i'm like no so i've made a post-it note with the keywords I need for each of the four stages. And as I'm playing, I'm just like, okay, I'm going to need a, a stranger card in two levels, so I'll keep this guy. Somewhere down the line, I need an item, so I'll keep that. So I'm just looking at it as run around the kingdom and collect stuff. And right. and that, that kind of works because of this idea that most of the game is a terrain puzzle. And there are different things that happen in different types of terrain that different characters are uniquely suited to deal with. And that's kind of cool. Here, however, is where this game drives me crazy. Actually, two things. The first thing, and this is partly what sold me in believing, yeah, this is going to be a dark game. This game so loves its artwork. It is so in love with its artwork at the expense of every single other thing. <laughs> and the terrain cards are the primary example. Because when you build a board, there are six forests, and there are six plains, and there are six mountains. And they all have unique names, which could be cool. But the names are silly, generic things like uh, here, here the forests. I'm just going to read you forest names. Nobody even tried. Uh, the forests are Old Forest, Blessed Grove, Lush Jungle, Hidden Woods, is this Lost translated Forest. Is from uh, some other language, maybe? I don't think so. The, the developer's name is Tristan Hall, so I okay. doubt it. That, that is a good question, though, but no, but they're just generic names, and the artwork, which is super detailed, it looks like these Hildebrandt paintings, has nothing to do with the name of it. For instance, one of the mountain cards is called Rolling Hills. So if I have a card, and a lot of the cards that you draw do this, uh, like the, the clock, you turn over a card every night, every turn, and one of these territories does what's called gloom. It goes into gloom. So you flip the card over, and now if you end your turn there, it does a little damage to you. And that's the game clock. Once the last territory is gloomed, you've lost the game. 
So the territory is getting more hostile as you play. So I flip over a card that says, oh no, the rolling hills have gloomed. So I'm looking for the board. Okay, where's the rolling hills? And I want to look at the artwork because that's what the game wants me to look at is this beautiful artwork that they that, this can't have been cheap. They hired some really talented guy and said, here, make me a mountain terrain and call it rolling hills. So I'm looking around. Okay, where are these rolling hills? And I'm looking for a picture of rolling hills. And you can't do that in this game because I'm going to describe to you guys the rolling hills card right now. The rolling hills card has these huge steep cliffs it's like a canyon and you know that bit in lord of the rings where those giant man statues are holding their hands out forward and the river Mm -hmm. flows between them and they're like it's like a canyon that's what rolling hills is there's these huge giant statues in a canyon with rocks on the side and waterfalls there's not a hill in here and there's certainly nothing that rolls it's just a big (laughs) majestic fantasy painting that they slapped on here and they decided to call it Rolling Hills. And, <laughs> and so it drives me crazy that I flip up a card that says, oh, the Rolling Hills are gloomed, and I just need to learn to ignore the artwork and look at the little name of the card on the side. So that drives me batty because, you know, meet my imagination halfway. I'm more than happy to imagine Rolling Hills falling into gloom. But if you're then going to show me a picture of those giant statues of Arnoth or whatever in cliffs and canyons and mountains... It, no, that just makes no sense to me. It just immediately it's just so gamey and it's just so diver- divorced from its artwork, which is a terrible thing to do to this lovely artwork. Okay. So, here's the other thing that drives me crazy. All right, so in each of these decks, and the decks are really good at expressing how different each type of terrain is. Seriously, you go to the mountains, monsters will attack you. If you go out into the plains, you'll meet people that are more friendly. It's safe to run around in the plains. But when you go in the mountains, you either need to be ready to fight or you need to be hidden. You need to, like, sneak through the mountains because there's nasty, terrible things in the mountains. Each terrain also has event cards because normally you flip up the card and now it's sitting on the board and you have to deal with it, whether it's a stranger or a quest or a place or a monster. Sometimes you flip over a card and you get an event. And the event doesn't stay out on the map. It just does something really quickly. And you resolve it. And now you're in this territory. And there was nothing there other than the event. And this is cool. I want to read you guys three events that you will run into in the mountains. These are perfectly thematic. So far, so good. Volcano. Avalanche. Earthquake. Great. Great. Those are, yeah, those are all events. Those will happen in the mountains. When you go in the mountains, deck of 24 cards, three of them are these events. There's a few more events, but I picked these out because these all sound super intuitive. I'm this, excited. Yeah, yeah I, this is I want to be there. Yeah, it happens in a mountain. When you go in a mountain, there could be an earthquake, there could be an avalanche, a volcano could fire off. Excellent, Gloom of Killforth. I'm with you 110% now. And even here, okay, your artwork... The artwork is lovely here, and that's fine because I don't need to. I just need to look at it and then read the text to see what it does. And it's an evocative picture of a volcano. The earthquake is ripping up the earth here. There's a big crack. Here's the avalanche. The snow has fallen down. Great. Let me then tell you what these do. Uh, in the game, your characters. This is very straightforward. Has stats, and it's like any fantasy flight game where you you that the stat is the number of dice you roll, and a five or six is a success. And your stats are like combat. Uh, intelligent study for spells stealth and uh, charisma influence Mm -hmm. so you've got these four stats and every now and then you have to make a check so these cards are going to make you do checks so for instance 
a volcano, you have to do, you're going to take damage from the volcano, and so far so good. Yeah, because lava or the pyroclastic flow or whatever is going to hit you and you're going to get hurt. To avoid taking damage from a volcano, you make a sneak test. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. Yep. Go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. Did you have a question about this? Is there how anything one, that's... How does one sneak away from an, a volcano? Okay, let me read you the flavor text. It's going to explain it. I thought you were going to say a charisma check. That was going to be great. <laughs> um, that is the avalanche. Oh, no, no. The avalanche is a study check. Okay. You have yeah. to check your study stat on the app. And by the way, I wouldn't mind here here Tristan Hall, if you're listening to this, stop making games until you've talked to me about this stuff because look, Avalanche sneak check. You have to be quiet or the avalanche goes off. Yeah, make me make a sneak check versus the avalanche. I'm okay with that. But a sneak check versus a volcano? No, that makes no sense. And it's just it's just like the arbitrary keywords. You're just arbitrarily making me make a check or I take damage. If you're going to paint a big picture of a volcano, and if you're going to call it volcano, put more thought into what dice you're making me roll and what kind of – like what – suddenly rogue classes are really good against volcanoes? Really? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll be I'll, I'll be honest, Tom. The 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 thing that is disappointing me the most about this is how you said that it comes down to these kind of generic skill checks where you 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 roll dice and and try to get fives and sixes. Like that's I that's, always that's sorry. Pretty, that's pretty uninspired and disappointing. And I mean, I think otherwise it it sounds like it could be a fun game in terms of moving around and like you said, trying to efficiently get your character places and, and then and doing a skill check. But I think a game that leans on skill check so heavily needs to come up with something at least slightly clever. Right? And here and here's where I'll settle down and actually talk about why I like this game, because I think it does a good job of using, except for stupid stuff like sneaking past a volcano, it does a good job of these stats of creating a game ecology where stats interact with different kinds of cards differently. And this mm. is super expressive and super thematic. The cards that flip up, events are, are an anomaly. You're rarely going to get an event. Generally, you're going to get one of four flavors of cards. And you use a different stat and interact in a different way with each of these flavors of cards. And the natural basic one to understand is when you flip up a monster, that's combat. Very straightforward. And of course, it's going to be modified by combat allies or combat items. That one's pretty easy. But then the other things that you flip up can be strangers, quests, and uh, places. Uh, and those sit out on the board. Like there's a there's a there's a crusader knight up in the rolling hills, or there's a there's a mystical fountain over in the the uh, some mountains or in the old forest. Uh, so you go to these cards. And you use different kinds of stats uh, to deal with them. And for instance, a quest, the study stat is always the best way to deal with a quest. But quests also tend to give you a secondary option that tends to be more difficult. Um, but if you're a study character, you're really good at running around the world doing quests for people. You're not so good at finding locations. You're not so good at fighting. Uh, and you may not be really good at appealing to strangers. So it creates this ecology that furthermore, once I beat one of these cards, it then, un it then moves me to a different kind of card. 
So for instance, if, I, if I'm a good combat guy, I'm good at fighting monsters, and when you defeat a monster, you draw something from the item deck. When you, if I'm good at studying places, I go to a place, I defeat the place, now I draw something from the title deck. And mm. titles tend to be passive bonuses for things. Items give you special powers. Uh, when I do quests, I tend to draw from the spell deck. Uh, so there's this idea of the cards flip up and they lead you further to other kinds of cards. So that becomes part of the terrain puzzle is I'm a magic user. I really want to do quests. Oh, look, there's one. I really want to get spells. Oh, look, there's a quest over there that'll get me a spell. But I need to work my way around this monster because I'm not a fighting class. Uh, mm -hmm. So I like that ecology. And even though it all comes down to the standard roll a bunch of dice, how many fives and sixes did I get? Uh, I just like how this puzzle is created around these different stats. Um, and do you, and do you get a satisfying feeling of, of level progression and kind of developing your character into something kind of cool and unique? Cause it, yes. it sounds like that. Yes. Yeah. Because each of the four levels, uh, your, your health is always very low. You start with like four hit points. So when a volcano does two points of damage, cause you couldn't sneak past it, that's painful. Uh, <laughs> and the number of actions you get each turn is your health. So when you're damaged, you get fewer actions. You want to heal up so you get more actions. Each time you level up, you're going to get one more point of health, which is one more action, which is great, and you only get four levels. So by the time you're fourth level, you're getting eight actions, which is awesome. You're super powerful. You can do a lot of stuff as long as you're not damaged. Um, furthermore, each time you go up a level, depending on what class you are, you choose one of two mutually exclusive kind of game-breaking level ups. Um, one of the things that I was super disappointed at first, disappointed about, is I look at, there's four bosses in the game, and I looked at all of them, and you need to make combat checks against all of the bosses. That's what it comes down to, is big fistfuls of dice using combat checks and see who runs out of hit points first. So I was thinking, well, wait, if I'm playing a rogue, and I'm working on sneaking, and I'm successfully evading volcanoes and whatnot, um... What is going to happen when I've neglected this fight check, when I've neglected my combat score, and now suddenly I've got to fight something that's just throwing handfuls of, of combat dice? How stupid is that? But at fourth level, each character has the option of one of two powers to get, to take something super badass or to take something that substitutes their main stat for a fight check. So if I'm leveling up a rogue... I know that waiting for me at fourth level is the option to, instead of using fight dice in a battle, use sneak dice in a battle. Um, so, And I don't have to make that choice until I get to the end and see how my stats have developed, what allies I've got, what items I've got. Um, so the progression and how dynamic and responsive it is in terms of what's going on, uh, I like a lot. Uh, and it also will tie into the, the geography. Like, generally, characters have an option to do things like, like the elf can choose to heal at a forest. Like, that can be one of his uh, upgrade right. abilities. Right. And that's super thematic. It's like, yeah, I'm an elf. There's a forest there. I need to make a beeline for there so I can heal up. Uh, so that's, cool. that's expressive. But, but yeah, and, and finally, I want to get back to the earthquake at the mountain. <laughs> Here is the earthquake event. Uh, now, remember, there are these different kinds of cards in play. There are quests. There are places, there are enemies, and there are uh, strangers. Strangers, enemies, places, quests. An earthquake is going to burn one of those kinds of cards. You have to pick one, and the earthquake has destroyed it. Guess what kind of card an earthquake destroys? 
a place, a quest, an enemy, or a stranger. Well, logic would indicate it destroys a place. Of course. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Let me read the card. <laughs> Earthquake. Discard an enemy from play. <laughs> it's like it was randomly assigned. Uh, uh, well, you know, Mike, you might not be far up. Not in not in the sense of random assignment, but uh-huh. sp- speaking as as a designer who struggles with this issue sometimes, is you have these giant spreadsheets sitting in front of you, <laughs> right? And you're 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 trying to balance things, right? Like you're making sure that an equal number of cards yeah. have this particular keyword and this and trigger off of this. And you know, it's quite possible, you know, that Tristan at some point had his volcano designed exactly the way that you guys want it to be, and he was just forced into a jam at one point and was like, "Nope, I need to make this. It defeats an enemy." Like, right? Because there were too many other cards that interacted right. with places or something. That's and right. So yeah, That's right. I understand, but don't give me it. Don't call it an earthquake anymore. And you know what tristan suck it up and change your artwork <laughs> like, already got the artwork no that's <laughs> i know once you get the artwork he's stuck yeah. that's it. So. and hassan you've got to be so right because this really is gorgeous artwork and it's definitely like it's serious high fantasy beautiful stuff that i'm sure took a long time in advance to get queued up and and to get prepped and yeah so i should sympathize but it just drives me crazy like yeah an earthquake that means i can destroy that really pesky orc barracks oh no i can only discard this uh, skeleton <laughs> yeah so no, i i know that this game i know a little bit about this game and i know the the designer Tristan. this has been like it's one guy who did this it's his labor of love it was his first design and he worked on it so much right oh. and, and so it's it's clearly got some rough edges to it and i'm i totally respect that 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 this guy put his lifeblood into this thing. Um, and I don't mean this as a demeaning statement at all, but this looks like the kind of game that I was actually, you know, slamming my head against trying to design when I was like in high school and college. Like this was exactly the kind of game I liked to play back then of just, um, you know, a, a randomized adventure game where I get to level up a character and, yeah. and build towards a final a quest or battle or a boss in it. And while in the, on the face of it, that sounds super generic. I also think that that structure is very satisfying, right? And for solitaire play, it's it, it can be exactly what you want. And you it know? does a thing, too. Like, you can play with multiple characters, but there's really no point. Like, a lot of times, solitaire games uh, rely on the combinatorial possibilities and the, the synergies between different character powers. I don't get that sense here at all. Like you're, right. you're, you're a solo character on an adventure, and in this, every now and then, maybe another character can add a die to one of your checks, but there's no sense of like a party adventure. This is just about one solitary dude making it through a fantasy world trying to kill the big main foozle wizard guy uh and and i i like that about it like i like that it's super manageable like i, I was like okay how, can i can i can i maybe manage four characters in this because uh, i like i like that spread of like thinking of these games as like party management and i quickly realized oh there's really no point because when you have multiple characters they're just taking their turn doing their own thing they're each pursuing their own quest they even each have their own boss uh so it really is perfect for if you just want one character this is totally designed, this is totally geared towards that sort of thing. Is It's just emphasizing the one character and that one character's adventures in the land. Theoretically, you could play simultaneously with your friend, uh, but why bother? You know, play something that actually takes advantage of your friend being there. Um, right. And, and to Tristan's credit, Hassan, 
uh, I really do like – I called it an ecology before. This this ecology of how things like quests lead to spells and how those are un- more often found in, in badlands and swamps. Uh, none of this is surfaced when you f- sit down to play the game. It's just – it feels random. And and that was part of my frustration is when I first played it a few times, I was like, well, what does it matter if I go to a mountain or a swamp or – and when I really need to, say, get an enemy keyword for one of my quests, I was like, well, I'm just running around waiting for one of these cards to flip up. I'm just randomly, you know, I'm waiting on randomness to emerge in my favor. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But once I sat down, and I, I love doing this, this will either make make or break a game for me. After I played a few times, I will sit down, I will spread all the cards in front of me, and I'll put them in different categories and see how many there are of this and rank their strengths that way and just look at the whole spread of cards and when I did that here and revealed this this ecology that Tristan has created, it, I, I was like 180 degrees. Suddenly I was like, oh, I see the way that this puzzle is supposed to work. If I need to get an enemy card for my quest, I need to be going into the mountains. Right. Uh, and right. and I, I love that reveal. Like that suddenly gave the game twice as much, you know, three times as much personality as it had previously. Because previously the personality was just artwork that was kind of getting in the way. Now the personality is knowing that this is what's waiting for you in the mountains. This is what you'll find on the plains. This is why you want to do a quest. This is how strangers can help you. Absolutely. Um, and I, one thing I was going to ask you is, I mean, I I really like exactly what you're describing, which is the, the feeling of discovery of that. Like I yeah. actually... I would prefer to discover that on my own through play rather than have the instruction manual kind of lay it out to me. Like, oh, if you're looking for enemies, make make sure to go to mountains and here's here's the deck percentage. How do you feel about that? Like, do you I mean, the 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 danger with that is that if it's too obscure, obtuse, that a player will think it's random and they'll just bounce off it and not play enough times to discover that kind of cool element to it. And I think that's a very real danger here because that's about that's almost what I did, uh, and uh, so yeah, I don't. I mean, it's an it's a difficult place to be in because you're right. That sense of discovery is really cool, and you don't want the rules to say, you know, go go to the mountains to get an enemy. Like that's that should be like part of the game world that you discover through exploration. Right. Uh, but the risk is. You know, someone might play it, and it might just feel completely random, and then they wouldn't come back to it. So, I, yeah, I don't know how to answer that because I, I don't know that people have the patience to do what I did and to right. just look at all the cards and rank them and go through and arrange them by, okay, how many strangers are in the plains versus the forest. Uh, like, that's that's a little demanding, I think, to ask the average person to do that, especially mm-hmm. if they haven't even played the game yet or have only played it once and don't know what to make of it. Yeah, um, Ta- Tom, if this was a, a digital game, if this was a computer game, my guess is that you would be saying there should be an encyclopedia and I should know the exact composition of each of these stacks and you yeah. should be giving me that information to dig for. Well, I tell you, the reason I, I'm still playing this and it's set up and the way it's set up now is I've I've printed out and I even I, – I think this might be the first time I actually posted a file to Board Game Geek, but I wrote a list of the, the numbers of different cards – types in each territory and furthermore like each of the card types has a category like strangers can be noble villains or neutrals 
Uh, and I then furthermore wrote the number of strangers in the plains and the mountains and the forest, and furthermore a breakdown of that many strangers, how many are noble, how many are villains, how many are neutral. Uh, and that's posted on my wall right now. And as I'm playing, and yeah. I know, okay, I need to find a villain – should I go to the forest or should I risk it in the mountains? And I lean over and I look at this thing I've posted and I'm like, okay, there's three villains in the mountains, but only one in the forest. I'm going to the mountains. I like that. Yeah, like yeah. that. You, that's... Yeah, you re you reverse engineered the game. You could have you could have emailed Tristan. He would have just sent you his spreadsheet. Right. <laughs> well, but that's the the part of the exploration too is me getting my own spreadsheet. Like when I right. get player aids, I almost never use the player aid that comes with the game. I make my own based on as I've learned the game at what things I feel are important for me to know. Mm -hmm. uh, right. So yeah, but so I just. I made this list for myself and thought I'm going to upload this to Board Game Geek in case anybody else wants it. Uh, and it's it's salvaged the game for me. Like it, knowing that this game is like a territory and a deck distribution, like a keyword distribution puzzle. I want to I want access to the specifics of that distribution so I can make informed choices. Uh, and then it's up to Tristan's game to get to add the theming to it. Uh, and then here that I am. Reminds, that reminds me of like an Arkham Horror where it has the icons of like here's what you'd find there. Yes, yes. Yeah, and that was, you know, that's integrated into the game. And it seems like this uh, this game could maybe benefit from that. Well, the th this too is like, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, you're right. Like, Fantasy Flight knows that, I guess, people want to know that. And, uh, yeah. Um, so. Were, you playing, were you playing this solo, Tom, or how many people? Solo, yeah, yeah. I didn't press anyone else into service for this. Because, uh, <laughs> like right. I said, it really does feel like... Like you don't you don't get synergies going with other characters. Your character does his or her own thing and levels up and kills his or her own boss. Mm -hmm. And you know if other players are doing, if if there are other players present, you know I'm just, it's just downtime while I'm waiting on them to do their stuff. Right. So there's no yeah. real interaction there. Mm -hmm. um, the the final thing I want to mention when you flip over a, a territory here, uh, and, it, and it's gloomed, it goes to its gloom side. Uh, and now if you stay there, it's going to do damage to you. So the map is getting more hostile the longer you play. When you flip it over, the artwork on the other side, it's just like a shade darker. And really the way to tell that a territory is gloomed is the name of the territory now has a background on it. It's a small banner on the side of the card. And I just feel like visually it does a terrible job of creating... Okay, the land is getting overshadowed and gloomed, and it's it's getting darker and darker. It just does. It's terrible at that. And I want to bring up a game by a group called Lone Shark Games. They did the Pathfinder adventure card game, and the game I want to bring up is something called Apocrypha. Apocrypha has the same thing, where it's a uh, it's based on locations. Each location is a card, and each card has a hope side and a doom side. And as you're playing. It'll flip over to the doom side, and it'll have a negative effect, and the area gets more and more hostile. Uh, what they do is the artwork on either side has a really cool, subtle change. And I played this game you know, five or six times before I noticed this. There's always something different on the doom side that's not present on the hope side. Uh, and generally, like it's something like there's a school, for instance. I'm looking at a school here, and there's a picture of a school on it, and you flip it over, and it's the same school. Yeah, big deal. But then if you look closer at the Doom side, there's a weird little hooded figure atop of the school looking down. Like there's this, and the swamp, like you flip it over, it's a swamp. Oh, look, there's an alligator on the Doom side. Uh, mm -hmm. Here's the train terminal. There's a guy standing there with a briefcase. Okay, you flip it over. 
wait a minute, the guy's missing and his briefcase is just sitting there alone. So I really like the... That's the, awesome. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. And, and, and they've got, you know, there's a deck here of maybe 100 locations. Like, they've done that with every single location. And I love that, uh, you know, they're way clearer and they have fewer locations to deal with. Color coding, text, all of that is very different on either side. But they also encourage you to lean in and look at the artwork. And I really like that a lot. That's, that's, uh, that's really, cool. That's clever art design because probably what they told their illustrators to do is like, look, we need you to make two versions of this and they're not going to be that different. So you pick like one element that you want to remove or change or add. That's, yeah. uh, you know, and if you just set that out to them right at the beginning, that's not that complicated, right? Mm -hmm. so. If you make, exactly, if you make it part of the process at the very first, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So when, uh, so this is the second edition of Gloom of Killforth. Uh, it comes with, when you kickstart it, something called the, uh, it's like the Dark Pack. Um, and what it is, it's a set of uh, maybe 10 cards that you can substitute for cards in the second edition that were changed from the first edition. Uh, and, and what they all are, and it's weird going through this, basically they're cleavage. So in the first edition, there's all the standard like hot chick fantasy stuff with big old breasts and crazy chainmail costumes, and and it's, it's it accents their cleavage like it's super sexualized fantasy artwork, whatever. It's adult. It's you know it's supposed to be dark adult. So when he did the second edition, all of this stuff like they would and it's soup. You can totally see that they cheaply got around this. They would do something like change the frame where there's text over the woman's breasts, or they would just do. <laughs> Do a, like a, a lace texture instead of skin texture. Uh, and they did that for the second edition, presumably because people complained. And I, you know, I want gaming to be inclusive. I can understand this. Uh, but then they let people get this dark pack, which gives you the original artwork, the original cards where the oh. chick's breasts are hanging out. You but what's get your cleavage back. Yeah. Exactly. You get your, your de <laughs> yeah, decolletage is still an option here. Um, but what's really funny to me is a couple of the cards that you sub in, I couldn't figure out what was going on until I looked really closely. And one of them, it's, uh, it's called something like Dark Ritual. And it's got a bunch of hooded dudes standing around an altar and they're doing some insidious rite or something. Uh, and the card that you swap in, the, like the, 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 the safer second edition revised card, there's a pronounced dagger in one of the cultists' hand, and there's some dude like stretched out on the altar, like he's going to get stabbed. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, what did they do with the previous card that, that like what was the darker version of this? And I looked at it, and there's no dagger, there's no altar. Oh, wait a minute. There's something on that altar. Oh, there's a little baby on the altar. <laughs> so they took the baby off of the, like, that That was apparently too dark. Uh, oh, man. But, I, you know, I like in theory that they did this, uh, but it's, it seems a little silly, some of the things they had to change. Oh, there's... It's a, it's a thing, right? I mean, uh, you know, every time these mini games come out, you know, especially from Simon and, you know, look, all the female characters are just wearing like bras, right? Um, it, it becomes a furor, right? Yeah. And, and it becomes a conversation and, and then it becomes, uh, you know, an issue of, well, who are you, who are you going to try to satisfy in that conversation? Mm -hmm. right? And, and my feeling is, uh, not everything has to be for, for everyone, 
Right. But on the other side, you know, I like, you know, I I want to support inclusiveness. I, one of my best board gaming friends, uh, she doesn't play a lot of video games, but the few video games that she does play, she really likes, and she's a big fan of the series. So she's really into the God of War games. And she talked about, I guess it was two or three. There's one point in the God of War games where uh, Kratos has to take a princess and throw her into a gear to hold open a door and it basically just massacres her body and it's super dark like r-rated conan the barbarian stuff and i remember thinking oh that's grim but i guess like you know it it fits the aesthetic of what they're doing and she just talked about how she just felt disgusted at that and didn't want to play it anymore and you know i gotta sympathize with her and i gotta sympathize too with people like sony and tristan who want people like my friend Sharon to enjoy their games and they don't want to do things that'll turn them off. It'll, uh, so yeah, I understand that. But that being said, I'm super glad that things like monster death kingdom exist still. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. 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 Uh, all right. So there I've, man, I'm glad to get that off my chest. I'm still so upset about the volcano and the earthquake and the (laughs) avalanche. All right, so uh, Ethnos, Heroes of, let me see if I've got this right, Mike, Land, Air, and Sea. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Uh, and uh, Gloom of Killforth. So those are our three games. Uh, you guys come on back in two weeks. Uh, yeah, two weeks. We'll talk about three more games. Until then, I'm Tom Chick. I've been here with Mike Pullman and Hassan Lopez. Thanks for listening, everyone.